Welcome to another episode of Politically Entertaining. I'm Frank here with Byron. And again, Byron, we're back. It's another exciting, amazing week of news. Just, just crazy things happening all over the place. Before we start covering everything, just let the listeners know what we do, how we do, and why we do it. Uh, what's going on? We pretty much bring you news and topics, uh, big and small, that's going on. We try to bring you what's important, try to bring you what's big, and not also what, what's not covered as much in the media. Me and Frank try to do our best to uh, bring attention to those topics. This episode is kind of the opposite of last week, Frank. We had so much going on last week, man. It was a whole lot to cover. I think this episode will be abbreviated compared to that. Uh, the top of the show right now, I just want to discuss President du- Duterte. I think that's how you say his name, but the Philippines. He called uh, President Obama an SOB, a son of a you-know-what, also call him the son of a whore. Uh, and I was just thinking, man, like, you know, Obama, he didn't react. You know, he stayed in what you would say presidential character. Uh, had it been me, I probably would have had to go, I would have had to go put hands on that man. Uh, me and you, we both work in, we both have professional jobs. What would it take for you, for someone to get you out of character? Is there anything that someone can say at your job or in public that would make Frank be a side of Frank that people don't want to see? Man, that's 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 not even a fair question because I'm all, I think I'm somewhat unbalanced already. So I do I don't think it would take <laughs> even nearly what uh, was said to the president. Anybody say anything about my certainly my mother was certainly raised, raised flag, certainly my wife, especially, um, anything, anything about that, you know, obviously I have a daughter, any thoughts or sayings about that, that would be, uh, inconsiderate would certainly get me out of character. Uh, some things, you know, things to me directly, uh, depends on what it was. I mean, I generally am, am okay if people insult me, as long as it's not something that's just so over the top, but certainly something about my wife, something about my daughter, because they're not there and it would just seem like it was unfair i would certainly react to so he did a great job because the whole mother thing to me that was that would be the one thing that if you can react to it's like wow you're you're going way out of line uh so you know like i said he did a great job he's done a great job honestly i mean just just as you said showing restraint the whole presidency i mean think about going back i know you know the name of the congressman that said liar he didn't even react Joe Wilson. Yeah, I knew you knew the name. He didn't even react to that. So he's 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 got pretty thick skin. So we give give him credit again for showing class uh, amidst hostility once again. Duterte went off on this raid because uh, ahead of his scheduled meeting with Obama, he was saying that he better not bring up these killings that's been going on in the Philippines. When he ran as a candidate, he promised that he would kill 100,000 uh, drug dealers and drug users in his first six months. And so far, I think it's been about 2,700 killings. Uh, some as young as four years old, and it's been very controversial. Uh, believe it or not, he's like a, a very, very extreme version of how some people view Trump. And so he was just kind of like preemptively saying Obama better not bring up those killings. So... He kind of went off on that tirade. But like you said, the president did a great job of staying in character. It just couldn't have been me. And with that, let's get into some politics.
are listening to Politically Entertaining, your Cliff's Notes to American Politics. And now your host, Frank and Byron. On Politically Entertaining, we ask that you subscribe. We're on iTunes, we're on Stitcher Radio, Podbean. Also, if you have Google Play, just download podcasts and subscribe to Politically Entertaining. Like our Facebook page. You can follow us on Twitter at The Vocal Minority. And also, we have a YouTube channel now. We have three of our interviews up. So if you've missed past shows but only want to hear the interview, we have, you know, Brandon Davis, Claiborne Carson, which is a very popular interview we did, and also Senator Tim Scott. Just go to YouTube and put in Politically Entertaining, and we'll try to add more videos as time goes on. Uh, Frank, last week, Congress returned from their long Long summer break. Uh, they returned, got a few things done. Hillary Clinton, after I think about 247 days, I think was the count. She finally held a press conference. Uh, but what I want to get into right now, man, is it's something that Trump brought up. And there was also an article written on it. And basically it was saying that the cities that have the biggest income gaps between the rich and the poor are ran by Democratic leaders and Republicans and conservatives are saying, hey, you know, you should give we need to they should give conservatives a chance in these towns because towns that are ran by Democratic mayors and governors have like this huge gap between the rich and the poor. Uh, I believe the number was like nine of the 10 highest cities are led by Democrats. First off, a couple of things that make this article and what you're hearing on the campaign trail a little misleading. Half of those so-called Democratic mayors are not what you call a traditional Democratic mayor. They're like they're nonpartisan, like they are Democrat, but they're not what you see as far as from the Democratic Party on a national level. Uh, and also, you have to remember, we had that housing crisis in 2008 that hurt a lot of big cities as far as the poor becoming even more poor, not being able to afford their mortgages. And things of that nature. And also, when you when you look at these big cities, because a lot of times these high income gaps are in big cities like D.C., L.A., New York. Those are where the much, much higher paying jobs are. So you're going to have like jobs that pay half a million dollars and then you're going to have, you know, your, your low wage income jobs. Uh, I wanted to get your thoughts on should these democratically led cities, should they consider uh, Republican candidates, because in my opinion, it has less to do with who's running the city and more what's happened on a national level. It's a trend that began in 2007, back in the Bush administration, and it just happens to continue on today. So what are your thoughts on what Trump and some other conservatives have said on this this big income gap in, in major metropolitan cities? First off, let me actually give the uh, the, the GOP credit for a finding an area that actually makes sense to attack because I would say most of their rhetoric has been nonsensical and, and borderline racist up to this point. This is actually uh, the kind of stuff we actually like talking about on the show. Uh, so kudos to them for finding a, a, a really good talking point. Uh, but, but, but it is a bit misleading. I think the issue here is, as you mentioned, you mentioned there's very high incomes and there's low incomes. And I think what ends up happening in some of these bigger cities, you mentioned uh, New York, Detroit, Boston, they're kind of Democratic cities. 
uh, anyway. But but what ends up happening is when you have something like a housing crisis, 2007, 2008, the, the recession that happened, the the poor people suffer the most. And so what happens is they're they're struggling to hold on to their homes and their jobs. And of course, the wealthy continue to keep their uh, you know, their status, their jobs. And that's just true of any city, Republican, Democrat, or, or how, however you say it. But your larger populations w- with Democratic uh, ties, they just happen to have those gaps. I think it's more of uh, just a con- just just I think I think it's always called a coincidence as much as it's not. If they all re- re- elect independent or Republican mayors and governors, it's not going to reverse the trend because the politicians don't dictate the market, don't dictate the housing market necessarily, not directly. So the things that have happened, it's not going to be something that can just be fixed by a politician. But it is a great point to say, hey, this happened under, you know, Democrats and, you know, you live in this city and you're you have this income inequality. But my, my thing is, what what is the solution? Like you can you can make the argument, even if you want to make the argument on its face and say, well, time the 10 uh, biggest cities with income inequality are democratically run cities. What is the GOP providing as a solution to fix it? And that's what I did not find in my readings. It's like, yeah, they're saying give the GOP a chance to a chance to do what to do the same thing. Or are you going to, uh, you know, find a way to bridge the income inequality gap? Do you know what causes it? Do you care about fixing it? Are you are you looking to fix the neighborhoods and education system that are broken for generations? I think it's just a thing that is very difficult to fix. And I don't think either political party has a vested interest in really fixing it because at the end of the day, uh, you know, the, the Democrats are happy as long as the minorities and the people that are pressed down are voting for them. And the GOP will continue to throw jabs, hoping they can get a Hail Mary of votes, knowing that they still have their base. So to me, there's no real uh, no real impetus on either side to make a difference when these kind of situations are pointed out. It's a convenient argument for them to make. It, it's it's misleading, but it is, I think, fair. So, like, you don't have a Hollywood in in some small town in Kansas that's led by a Republican. You don't have a Wall Street uh, in like Midtown Idaho somewhere that may be led by a Republican uh, mayor. So when you take a Hollywood or Wall Street, of course, those jobs are going to pay significantly higher than lower wage jobs. So when you take small towns in a Kansas or Idaho or Iowa, the income levels are going to be much closer because you don't have those, you know, huge government jobs that you have like in D.C. or like I mentioned with Wall Street. So it's it's kind of misleading in that way. They don't point out, you know, how you have those much higher paying jobs. But I, I say it's fair because on the flip side, Democrats have made the argument for a long time that the poorest states are led by Republicans. You look at Mississippi, you look at historically uh, Alabama, Kentucky, they're led by Republicans for the most part. And those are some of the poorest states in the country. And Democrats have made that argument before. So it's a fair argument for Republicans to make. I just I do call it what it is. It's misleading, just like on the flip side, when Democrats point out the poorest states. I mean, states like Mississippi, again, same thing. They don't have a, a Hollywood or a Wall Street there. So you're going to have a lot of low paying jobs in those areas. Now, the article I read, it was in The Washington Times, which is, which is a conservative leaning paper. It did say that mayors, it didn't say exactly what, but it did say that mayors can have more influence on rental pr- prices, which is what affects poor people the most. 
when you have like a, a, a an average unit costing eight hundred plus dollars in D.C. for someone that's living near the poverty line, that's going to make them struggle even more. If they could find a way to bring some of those uh, rental prices down or at least, you know, leave them at a standstill so that incomes can catch up, then that can help. Uh, so that may be something that not just Democratic mayors, but anybody that's uh, leading a poor city can look at. Uh, an update that me and Frank want to bring you, we mentioned this on a previous episode. It, it was called the 9-11 bill. For those that may have missed that episode or have forgotten, basically, uh, 17 of the 19 hijackers on 9-11 were Saudis. So victims, uh, so, you know, family members of the victims, they want to hold Saudi Arabia accountable for 9-11. They want to be allowed to sue them. This isn't, this has never been done before. However, it got a lot of steam in Congress. It wound up passing the Senate back in May. It just unanimously passed the House this week. And now it is on the president's desk. And what's interesting is the last time we brought you this story, Republicans were on the side. It was one of those few arguments where the Republicans were on the side with the president and being against this bill. So, Frank, I don't know if it's been political pressure or the fact that uh, this is the 15 year anniversary of 9-11, something that we'll discuss later on in the show. But uh, they wind up passing it unanimously and now they're putting it on the president who has previously threatened to veto it. So my question for you is, is this a setup in your opinion? Is this an attempt by the Republicans to even though that they're they're against this bill? Well, initially they were. Are they setting the president up to say, you know what, we'll pass it and we'll let you be the bad guy to veto it? Because, you know, the public, they want this bill. The majority of Americans, they like how this bill sounds, but they're not understanding, you know, the worldwide ramifications that this bill can have. So my question is, is this a setup for the president to uh, be the bad guy? Or do you think he also will fall to political pressure and change his mind and go ahead and sign it? I, you know, it's very, very strategic move again by, by the Republicans. They, they know that the public sentiment will be with, as you mentioned, 15 years of 9-11. I mean, first of all, you already, not, not to bring this up, but the whole flag kneeling, sitting, you see how people are already so up in arms just about that, let alone 9-11, which is a real issue, which is a real incident that happened that, you know, certainly affected a lot of lives uh, directly. So, you know, the public sentiment is going to say, hey, yeah, let's get after Saudi. If Saudi Arabia is responsible, let's get them. Let's get them for all they've got. And, and, but as, as we stated before in a previous episode, it's, 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 again, misleading because what are you opening yourself up to? Are we going to go after every country? Are you going to open – is the United States going to be also open to the same – uh, thing. What, what about people that we have drone strikes and families, whole families are wiped out, but we got the one guy we were looking for. You know, they say they wiped out number two guy on ISIS. They don't tell you how many civilians were, were killed necessarily. So the thing is, we we have to be careful trying to set up bad precedent. And the ends don't, don't always justify the means. It's like, yes, we should try to hold people accountable as much as possible, but certainly... Uh, you know, th this is not the right way. But but to answer your question, yes, it's a good move by the Republicans just to put the pressure on the president because publicly people react emotionally. People vote on emotion. I think we, we've learned that more than ever in this political campaign and to play on the emotions of people in 9-11, which is which is such a big deal uh, to everybody. You know, everybody, un unless you're a truther, and you don't think 9-11 happened. I think everybody has some sympathy for the victims and the families of 9-11. So 
I just feel like it's a tough decision for the president. I hope he holds fast to his his um, initial stance because I think it would be a mistake to go through with this type of bill. Yeah, I I personally think it, it's a setup, and a part of me wants to say, you know what? You have what several just a few months left as president. You know, he could actually sign it and just let the next president deal with it. Uh, but however he decides to handle this, I, I completely understand because, like you say, people are emotional. And like I say, you add on top of the fact that it is is like for, the reason I think it's so strategic is look when they passed this bill, like the 15 year anniversary of 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 this date. And they finally get around to it. Like I said, the Senate passed it back in May. They wait to September to get to it. So. I don't know, man. It just seems like a setup, but I definitely understand either way, because like you say, it, it's not I don't think it's a good bill for for us to pass because we we fight in a lot of wars and we whether wrongfully or mistakenly, we do a lot of a lot of bad things happen during war. And if we're going to hold Saudi Arabia accountable, there are going to be other countries that want to hold us accountable when we make a mistake. And I just don't think that's a, a, a box that we want to open. Um, no interview this week. Um, I don't want to say who I have scheduled because it's a fairly big name. We, we hoping that we are able to get her next week. So, or in the shows to come. So we'll see, but I do want to take this time to reiterate again, the YouTube channel we have, go to YouTube, type in politically entertaining. We have three of our interviews up there. Claiborne Carson, who recently, uh, because of the Colin Kaepernick thing, got some replay from a lot of listeners over the last few weeks. And I even got a message from one person who actually disagreed with him on some stuff, Frank, on what he said about uh, Malcolm X and the Black Panthers. So uh, that may be a topic we'll bring up in a future episode. We also have our interview with Brandon Davis, one of the smartest brothers that I think we've interviewed on this show. He had a lot of knowledge about the topics we discuss and we also have Republican Senator from South Carolina, Tim Scott, whose interview is up on YouTube. So go to YouTube, Politically Entertaining, listen to those interviews if you haven't, or if you want to hear them again, like I say, the Claiborne Carson interview, it plays in today what's going on with Kaepernick, and we recorded that about seven months ago. So check it out and let us know what you think. Uh, North Korea, Frank, uh, Dennis Royman's boy, uh, Kim Jong-un. They just completed their fifth nuclear test. This is the second of this year. Uh, the UN panicked. They freaked out. They had an emergency uh, meeting yesterday. They're discussing new sanctions. We already have sanctions on North Korea. They're discussing new sanctions to uh, handle this situation with North Korea. Um, my question is this, because we've we've heard about Iran, we've heard about North Korea for years now. Iran and North Korea going all the way back to the Bush administration as early as the early 2000s. For me, it has always been our next big, our next big, big threat has not been the country that has been discussed in the media as much. So I remember like before 9-11, like, you know, Pakistan and and Saudi Arabia and and Al-Qaeda I mean, they were doing they were doing things, you know, Al Qaeda. They were bombing our embassies and our and uh, the USS Cole and things of that nature. But they wasn't like as much talked about in the media as far as like being the next country that we may be going to war with or the next enemy that we may be having. 
So I'm wondering, are we making too big of a deal out of what North Korea is doing, out of what Iran has done in the past? Or do you think that this is actual, actually a credible threat with them testing these nuclears? They're not allowed to have nukes, but that has not deterred them from pursuing them. Same thing with Iran. Are we making too much of a big deal of these two countries? Or in your opinion, is this a credible threat that the next president will definitely have to tackle and and solve? I mean, the next president is definitely going to have to deal with North Korea, which is why the main reason why if you had we're on the fence between Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton, just for any other reason, the safety of the world could depend on it, because certainly Kim Jong Un is not afraid, uh, nor was his predecessor Kim Jong Il to say, hey, we, we don't have an issue launching nuclear weapons at the United States. Now, they have never done it. And I think they are to, to some degree using rhetoric because they do understand that if they did launch uh, an attack against America that would be the end of you know North Korea as we probably know it uh, and I, and I think that the the even even though it happened years and years ago the Hiroshima and Nagasaki still rings true with a lot of countries a lot of countries are probably kind of annoyed at the United States for that but they also know that the United States will retaliate with grand force so I think to that extent the president has to be able to deal with North Korea. I don't think they're going to launch nuclear weapons now, but you got to look at it like this. You got to look at it from another perspective. Uh, you know, a lot of times, you know, I, I love the Avengers. I'm a comic book guy. And it's interesting, you know, one of the things that, that you, if you watch the Avengers and you enjoy it, one of the subplots of the movie, if you, if you pay attention to it is they, um, the, the, the shield organization is, is in the process of making weapons to try to stop the Avengers if they ever go rogue. And so, you know, we always think the Avengers is heroes and they would never go rogue. And I think we, the United States looks at, we look at ourselves the same way. We say, we're heroes. We're the Avengers. We'll go out and fight crime and do whatever needs to be done. Team America, World Police, have you will. Um, but people fear that. And in other countries, they're testing things out in fear. And I'm not here to be a North Korea apologist or an Iran apologist because I'm not. And, and the things they do, the people in their country, I don't agree with. But what I'm saying is just from a standpoint of integrity, they want to be ready in case it all goes down so they can have something to, to fight back. The United States has many nuclear warheads. And so the United States is the only country, if you think about this, that could hit any place in the world with nuclear weapons. Isn't that funny? So, but we're we're trying to tell everybody else what to do. Again, I'm not being an apologist. I'm just giving you a perspective of 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 what um you know is going on here. And and certainly, uh, North Korea needs to to change some of their things with with regard to the way they run their country. In my opinion, I think they have human rights violations all over the place. Of course, United States, you could say the same thing. But I just feel like it's a standoff. It's, it's right now. It's not anything to be concerned about. The media will certainly make it a big deal, but I don't think it's anything that needs to be worried about unless it was something that got escalated by, say, a testy Donald Trump and a Kim Jong-un where they got into a pissing contest and who knows what could happen. So other than that, I don't really think too much about it. And and, and like I said, just ha just try to have some perspective on who the United States is in the global nuclear you know, game before you worry about Iran or North Korea. This is going to be interesting to see how the next president handles them, because like I say, uh, they they've been agitating us and, and the world for that matter since, like I say, going back to the Bush administration and maybe even before then. I know with Iran, we have a long history with them, but with North Korea in particular, 
you know, since the early 2000s, they've been doing things like this. So as they approach the third, their third president, well, our third president, it's going to be interesting to see if if it's Trump or Clinton, if they've had enough and really decide to do something to North Korea. Do we continue to let them develop this nuclear weapon that they're trying to get uh, before we go? As you know, uh, it's the 15 year anniversary of 9-11, as we've mentioned throughout the show today. Uh, it's one of those events, even if you're a conspiracy theorist, which there are those out there that have conspiracy theories on 9-11. You still remember where you were on that day. And I know for me, I was still in Mobile. I'm currently in the D.C. area now, but I was still in Mobile. And I just remember... For, for me, Frank, it's one of the, it's one of those events. It's one of two events, actually, that really got me into politics like I am now. And the reason being is I didn't have a clue what was going on. And I didn't like that feeling. Like, as I as I watched the news, they were saying, you know, we think it's been Laden. And I remember thinking, I don't even know who the hell been Laden is. Who the hell has been Laden? I didn't even realize how significant the World Trade Center was. I had heard of it. I seen it in movies. I knew it was important. But as far as like what exactly was going on there, because I was working midnights back then. I remember my homeboy, he called me and he was like, man, the Trade Center just got hit. And I'm half asleep, man. I just got home because remember it happened that morning. I just got home from working the midnight shift. And I remember like, man. You call me with this BSO, okay, the trade center got hit, okay, so some pilot got drunk, made a mistake and hit the building. So I reluctantly turned the TV on, and as I'm watching it, I see the second plane hit, and, you know, it just kind of hit me like, oh, as, you know, curse word, we under attack. And then you see the bottom scroll, like the Pentagon has been hit, and it just really hit me, and I just remember feeling so ignorant at the time, like, you know, while you're living your life and you have no idea what's going on in the world, like how many people like not only hate us, but are willing to do something about it. So it's one of those events that got me into politics. The other the other event that got me into politics involves Ludacris and Bill O'Reilly. We may discuss that in another episode. But uh, 9-11 is definitely one of those uh, events that really changed my life as far as how. I uh, look at the world and how I try to learn about things, Frank. So my question for you, man, is do you remember where you were on that day? And something I've never asked you before, are you a conspiracy theorist when it comes to 9-11? Because the last I checked, it's about a good a good 20% of people that believe in some sort of conspiracy theory when it comes to 9-11. Huh. So, no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist. I do believe 9-11 happened. You know, do I think our government was behind it? No, not directly. But, you know, when you go back and look at how bin Laden got his funding and all things like that, you'll see that our government was certainly a part of what initially bin Laden was not saying they directly planned this attack. I don't believe that. So I don't want to go off on that tangent. So for the sh the short answer, which I should have given is it happened. And no, I'm not a conspiracy theorist regarding the event. As far as where I was, I was actually a junior in college, and I went to the University of Miami. I think I've mentioned that a few times on the show. And I was on my way to chemistry, and I remember I had a pretty tough TA, and he was like, if you don't have your goggles when you come to the lab, you might as well not come because I'm not going to let you you know, do anything. So I had to go back. I had, I don't remember what class I had before, but my lab was at 9 o'clock. 
or around around nine o'clock, I think. And I had to go back to my class after eight, at eight something. Um, I mean, go back to my room. She me at eight, like eight something. And I go back in my room, and if my phone's ringing, and nobody really ever called me uh, in my room that much. And so I answer the phone. It's my dad, and I'm like, "Hey, what's up? You know, I wasn't even supposed to be in here. I'm here trying to get my goggles." And he was like, "Turn on the TV," and I'm like, "Okay." I turn on the TV, and I see the World Trade Center smoking. And I think the second plane had just hit when I had turned it on and he was explaining to me what happened. I, and I remember being like, wow, I don't know what is going on. And I mean, we didn't even know at the time, like, because people were trying to call and, and, and our campus hadn't shut down or anything yet. So I was like, well, let me get to class. Cause I was like, I didn't even understand like the gravity. Like I saw it and I was like, whoa, this is crazy. But I had to get my goggles and I went to chemistry class. Then when I was in chemistry class as people were leaving and trying to call and get in touch with people and people couldn't get through to sell, you know, cell phones. People have family in New York. So it just as as the day went on, it, my my spirit just got heavy because I just realized what had happened and how the world would never be the same. Uh, just just from a standpoint of, like you said, once people are willing to do something like this, that opened the door to you know other people retaliating and, and such. And so it was, it was just an incredible day. I'll never forget where I was. I never forget that moment of you know talking to my dad in, in a moment where I wouldn't have even talked to him if I hadn't forgotten my. No goggles. I wouldn't have even known. Um, so it was it was it was crazy, and and certainly, you know, my my thoughts and prayers are with all the families who are still affected because I know that when you lose somebody that you're close to, it you never get over that. And so, um, we just we just want to hope all the families out there who have been affected by this uh, continue to heal and stay positive uh, as we approach the 15th year anniversary. Yeah, and there's no one conspiracy theory when it comes to 9/11. Uh, like you, you mentioned some of them from it being an inside job to uh, explosives being planted in the building. Um, what people question why did building number? I think it's building number seven fall because it wasn't even hit, but it still fell. Did we shoot down the plane in Pennsylvania, or did the passengers really take over? So it's it's a multitude of conspiracy theories out there. One of the most interesting conversations that I like to have with people in the D.C. area, as I stated, I wasn't up here at the time, is just, you know, getting their thoughts on that day and what it was like for them to be in an area that was directly hit with the Pentagon being in D.C. Well, technically in Arlington, Virginia, but it's considered to be in D.C. Uh, and I, I always like to ask them, you know, what was scarier out of the D.C. sniper and 9-11? And just hearing the varying answers is always uh, fascinating for me. So it's definitely a day, like I say, that we'll always remember. Uh, it affected this country in so many ways, especially plane travel. Like plane travel is one of the, the number one ways that affected us and just security in general and, and how uh, we have to go through that each day. So, um, you know, if you lost someone on 9-11, uh, you know, we, we definitely send our prayers to you on that. And we also invite you to go to our Facebook page if, if you like and just share, you know, where were you, your thoughts on 9-11. If you like, uh, we like interaction. So politically entertaining on Facebook if you'd like to do that. Again, as always, I thank Frank for what you do on this show, man, and, and, and producing this show and putting it together. Uh, we thank you listeners for listening. We really appreciate it. Um, and I'll just let Frank take us out. Again, thank everybody for want to thank everybody for listening. Uh, 
we're really excited. The, the election is only is less than two months away. That's incredible. So we just want everybody to be informed on not just the obviously presidential election, but also your local elections. Get informed, get registered, find out your registration date if you're not registered because you only have a little bit of time to get that done. Uh, just be informed, vote. Uh, like I said, we look forward to seeing you guys again on another episode of Politically Entertaining. Thank you for listening to Politically Entertaining. Be sure to subscribe to the podcast via iTunes and visit politicallyentertaining.com for the latest in political news and updates.